0: Good morning everybody. Good, morning. Good to see everybody here today. Hey, we are in a series in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to spend time in that over the course of the summer. So I want to encourage you to be reading uh, that particular gospel in, uh, at home in your own time. And kind of let, let that gospel really minister deeply to you. So uh, today we're going to look at Mark 3. And what we're going to see are three groups emerge out of this particular section. We're going to see fans. And there are a lot of fans downtown right now, aren't there? We're going uh, to see foes, people who are against Jesus. And then we're going to see family. We're going to look at those, and as we do, kind of maybe ask yourself, where do I fit in that particular mix? So here we go. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. You see, this is the first time that Mark uses the word great crowd, and that's because now his ministry has gained popularity, is going beyond just the northern region of Galilee to the places in the South, places in the East and the West. It's going beyond just the Jewish people. It's now including the Gentiles. And there's this large group of people. I mean large, like think an Adele concert. Think like Justin Bieber, you know? People wanna have a selfie with Jesus. People are there and they're pressing in. And it's almost dangerous. It says in verse nine, because of the crowd, he told his disciples, Have a small boat ready to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. You know that feeling when you get around a crowd, like a big crowd like that? It's just kind of stifling. It's claustrophobic. It can create anxiety in you, right? And you can be looking for your way out like Jesus had the boat, right? Get the boat ready. So all these people are there. It's harder and harder for Jesus not just to teach, but even to be able to move about, to be able to eat. And then it says in verse 11, Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. It's interesting that out of everybody, it's always the evil spirits that know exactly who Jesus is. He's saying, you are the son of God. And he had authority to shut their mouths. And what Mark wants us to understand uh, as we read this is that things are heating up. I mean, things are intensifying. The crowds are getting bigger. The, The demons are kind of yelling. It's getting closer and closer to the time when Jesus would be arrested. He would go to the cross and he would fulfill what Isaiah 53 tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And what we see when we look at Mark chapter 3 are these three distinct groups of people. We see the fans. Those are the people who are in this crowd that we're talking about. The fans. The fans are cheering for Jesus because of the things that Jesus has done for them. You know, he's provided free bread, right? Free wine. It's healings, it's being freed from demons. There's all kinds of cool things that Jesus is doing. And then we see the foes, those that are against him, those who want to control him, those who have an agenda that they want Jesus to fulfill for them. And then we see his faithful followers who are actually become part of his family. So as we read this narrative, be thinking about that. The fans, (laughs) are represented in the crowds. Fans are fickle, right? One day you're a hero, the next day you're a zero. The main reason that they're interested is, of course, all the cool things that Jesus is doing. The dictionary defines a fan this way, an enthusiastic admirer. That sounds like me when it comes to Hoop Fest. I'm an enthusiastic admirer. You know, I went, I go down, try to go down every year, went down yesterday. My first experience, I'm going down, trying to find a parking spot, right, downtown, super busy, and I find the perfect spot, and there's like a lady in the spot, holding the spot. And I'm like, I'm just waiting in my car, going, okay, well, where's her car? When's the car coming? Car never came. So I just start to kind of go into the spot, you know? And she's like going, no, 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 and I'm going, yes, yes. (laughs) You're not a car! Just gave me the evil eye, you know. I think demons and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> so I go there, and I'm cheering, you know. Nathan and his his a couple of guys from the church, they're there. I'm sitting on a wall. They're playing their hearts out. I'm a fan. I'm an enthusiastic admirer. I'm just yeah, boy, shooting shots. People acting like it's they're in the NBA. Elbows are flying. It's crazy. And when it's all said and done, I go home. I never broke a sweat. Why? Because I'm a fan. Fans, when it comes to Jesus, they want to cheer for Jesus at church. They just don't have time for much else when it comes to deepening relationships. Fans pray, but mainly only when they're in dire circumstances. Fans own a couple of Bibles. They just never read them. Fans give to God based on how they feel, You know, and if they have enough, fans follow Jesus as long as he's meeting their expectations. Doesn't allow anything bad to happen. Fans make their first goal being happy. So many Christians are way too quick to just say, no, I'm a follower because I believe in Jesus. So I'm a follower. When really all along, possibly just a fan. Kyle Adaman, in his book, Not a Fan, says this. Most of us don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in our lives, but Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. Fans don't mind him doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking, tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans want Jesus to inspire them. Jesus wants to interfere with their lives. I love the fact that Jesus does so many things for us. I really do. I mean, I love the fact that He does miracles. I love the fact that He protects and provides, that He's forgiven me, He's released me from my guilt and my shame. That I I love all of those things. But there's something within me though, the longer I walk with God, the more I just want to know Him for who He is, not for what He can do for me. I'll be honest with you, sometimes, I can act like a fan when it comes to Jesus. But my heart, more and more, is saying I want to be a follower. I want to be a follower of his, not just a fan. And the question we have to ask ourselves, honestly, is am I a fan of Jesus, or am I a follower? Are you cheering Jesus on, uh, on as long as things are going good in your life, but as soon as things get really hard and pressed and, and sour in your life, that, kind of God goes by the wayside? Do you want God to do your agenda? Do you have a plan for your life that if he would just cooperate with you, things would work? <laughs> Jesus, I love you, but you've got to start doing things more my way. Are you a fan or a follower? Followers of Jesus are the ones who he said become his true family. Followers of Jesus are with Jesus. They're for Jesus, and they want to obey Jesus. Verse 13 says this. Jesus then goes up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. You might want to underscore that, that they would be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve we appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, or Rocky. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Sons of Thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Last week, Nathan spoke out of Mark 2 about Jesus uh, selecting some of these disciples and how unexpected it was that he chose the people that he chose because they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They weren't the people that were necessarily the most educated or the most well-to-do. They were this weird hodgepodge of people. I mean, you remember, fishermen were part of the group. Right? Businessmen. And then Matthew, the tax collector, in cahoots with the Roman government, who taxed the same fishermen. And then, in addition, there's Simon, the zealot, who's against the Roman government, not in cahoots with it, and carries a knife around with him. I mean, this is the small group. It's crazy. The people Jesus chose and said, I want you to be with me. And the reason why that's good news is because He chose you and me. That we didn't necessarily have anything particularly amazing to bring to the table, and yet God desires you. And it's solely by His grace that you have been chosen. It's His unmerited favor. He wants to be with you, and He wants you to be with Him. Not because you're such a great person, not because you have amazing intellect, not because you're so religious, Jesus just chooses you because he loves you. He says, I made you. I love you. And I want you to know me. That's good news. He invites us into a relationship not based on what we do. Our confidence is not in the good we bring to the table. Our confidence is in what Jesus has already done. Christianity is a four-lettered word. D-O-N-E, done. It's not about do. See, every other religion on the planet is about what you do for God, to have him like you, to have him pleased with you, to have him accept you. Christianity says it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has already done on the cross. He said it is finished. You see, doing things for God Trying to earn your way into God's good graces. That leads to an empty, life-sucking religion that is going to exhaust your soul. Jesus calls us into a life of freedom. And the beauty of the cross is that Jesus came to become my forgiveness. He's all my righteousness. He's the one who's performed and completed the satisfaction of God's judgment. It's time now just to rest in what he's done, and it will change your life. If you've been a fan, Jesus is calling you to become a follower, to become part of this family. And the problem with, stay, with being a fan is you can't stay a fan forever. See, what happens is fans are fickle, and fans quickly become foes. In verse 20, Jesus enters a house. And again, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, that's his natural born family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, you'll notice in this particular section, Mark is now going to build this, this unique kind of literary structure called a sandwich. Um, and, some theologians refer to it as a Markin sandwich because he does it a lot throughout the book of Mark. He's telling one story on the top piece of the bread, and then all of a sudden he inserts this other story that you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And then he closes it up and goes back to the original story with the other piece of bread, and he makes a sandwich. And it's an interesting technique that Mark uses. Notice the crowds gather here. They gather around the house. His family shows up, they look in, they see Jesus, and they are troubled by what they see. Jesus doesn't look like he's eating. He's shriveling away. He's got bags under his eyes. I mean, there's all these people. You know, Everybody in his family is thinking he's crazy, and they want to seize him. They're going to do an old-fashioned intervention. They're going to go in, and they're going to say, Jesus, you're in denial. You're overdoing it. You're getting too crazy with all this Messiah stuff, and you need to come home now. It's interesting how families sometimes don't understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. Don't be shocked or surprised if your family doesn't always get it. My poor daddy, you know, he wasn't raised a Christian, nor was I. He prodded us to, you know, Get a good education, go into business, work hard, be successful. He groomed us the best he could. And then one by one, we became Christians in our family. My brothers, my sister, and two of my brothers, along with myself, became pastors and church planners. And I felt bad for my dad sometimes, honestly. Because, you know, I think at times, at least in the beginning, he thought, where did I go wrong? You know? Like, can you imagine he's at his health club or country club or in a business meeting and, you know, guys are comparing notes and bragging about their kids and their family and, you know, doctor, lawyer, this, that, the other. So, you know, what do your kids do? know, uh, pastor, pastor. You know? Oh, really? One of them? No, three of them. I mean, I felt bad for him. honest, have you ever been embarrassed by your connection with Jesus? Have you ever been embarrassed? I mean, we live in a time when it's uh, not necessarily popular to be a Christ follower. It's interesting that even Jesus' natural-born family at this particular time in his ministry were not altogether supportive of him. They wanted to control him. How many of you know you can't control God? You, you can bring your agenda and go, on, this is my agenda. God, you better do this. And he's not going to do your agenda because he has a better one. He won't be controlled. He won't be put in a box. So his family thinks he's crazy. The scribes, the religious leaders, they, they take that to a whole new level. And they say, no, he's not just crazy. He's demon possessed. And they go on. And this is the other part of the sandwich here. Actually, this is the middle part of the sandwich. Verse 22, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? It's a good question. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions. And strong man, Jesus is referring to as Satan, he can't enter his house, carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Isn't that interesting that Jesus came to bind up the work of Satan in our lives and to set captives free. And that's what he was doing then and that's what he's doing now, is he's setting us free from every stronghold of the wicked one. Strongholds of lies that we believe about ourselves that are untruth addictions that bring destruction into our families he sets the captives free and that's what he's that's what he's explaining right here and then he goes on and he says i tell you the truth all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them but whoever blasphemes against the holy spirit will never be forgiven he is guilty of an eternal sin he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit Jesus is simply saying that Satan comes to bind us, to create strongholds. Jesus came to set us free. He came to tell us the truth. He came to give us abundant life. So he cannot be in cahoots with the devil. A foe, a foe is not just some mean-spirited person who hates Christians. It can also be the most well-meaning person who just thinks the whole Christian thing's just a little much, you know? It's mainly Christianity's for the ignorant. It's for people who can't process well. It's for people who don't have good critical thinking skills. It's for people who couldn't do anything else with their life. It's for those who need a crutch in their life. Has your pride made you a foe of Jesus? Has your missed expectations of how you think, if God was God, he would have come through in this way for me, has that missed expectation set you up to be a foe of Jesus? Now, let me give you a quick word on this unforgivable sin. People wonder sometimes. I've been asked, you know, I'm worried that maybe I've committed this unpardonable sin that Jesus spoke about. And and how do I know if I did that or not? Well, let me just ask you three things. First of all, do you think Jesus is the devil? Because that was the root of this problem here. Secondly is, do you think the spirit of God is actually demonic spirit? And then if you've even committed that sin, you wouldn't be asking about it. Because your heart would be so hard that you would have rejected Jesus, rejected the cross, and rejected forgiveness, and so there is no more forgiveness because you rejected it all. So the simple answer is, is if you're even worried about it, you haven't done it, fan? Are you a fan, are you a foe, or are you family? Now we're going to see something completely unexpected as Jesus shows us that being part of his family, it's not based on your lineage, it's not based on these natural blood connections. Remember now the relatives of Jesus' family, they're there, they're outside where he's teaching, people are gathered and seated at his feet, he's teaching, they're outside, they're wanting to seize him and now we're ready for the the other part of the sandwich, going back to the actual story. In verse 31, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers, they're outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will, is my brother and sister and mother. It's fascinating because in this moment, Jesus does the the most unexpected thing. He redefines what family actually is. He's saying it's not just about who you're connected to. It's not just that you're a child of Abraham. It's not just that you were raised in a religious home. It's not just that you had Christian parents. It's not It's not based on those things. It's not about family first. It's about Jesus first. Jesus is saying something so radical here. Remember, Jesus' mother is married. She is respected in that time. She's highly honored. His brother, James, became the chief elder and leader of the Jerusalem church. Jesus is saying, in spite of all of that, the people who are my family are the people who do the will of my Father. that are the people who are with me, who are for me, who obey me. It's not for the fans. It's not for the foes. It's for the followers to become family. And that's what God calls you and me into. Family is no longer defined by a human blood relationship. You are born into God's family by His Spirit. You are adopted by God. You are outside, and you've been invited to become inside. Some of you think, man, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have a religious family. I didn't have a good parent. Doesn't matter. God has made a place for you. And He says, come into the house, sit at my feet, learn of me, let me adopt you. Today, let the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ take away all of your sins, cleanse your conscience, set you free and bring you into something called abundant life. He calls you to become a part of this family. I want to challenge us to think of family maybe a little bit differently than we have. We live in a culture that, you know, we often say family first, family first. It just sounds so good. but actually, that's not what Jesus taught. It's Jesus first. God is first. The moment that I put my family before God, my wife, your kids, anybody before God, that can become idolatry really fast. And it will end up binding you. It won't save Later in Mark chapter 10, Mark says, or actually Jesus said this, he said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields or me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Phil aren't when he was alive, was a missionary here, um, sent out from our church, and he used to travel around the world to some of the least resourced countries of the world, building up leaders and building up the church. And Peggy, his wife, would um, stay here in Spokane, and every now and then, someone would come up to her and just say, man, I feel so sorry for you, you know, like, he's gone and you're here, and are you sure everything's okay, and is he taking care of you properly? And Peggy would politely tell them, Phil and I and our kids made a decision long ago to serve God in this way. And yes, it's hard, but it's a willing sacrifice. And God has given us the grace to do that. Why? Because Jesus was first. And they just have some amazing, amazing kids. When we did a building campaign years ago, you know. there was uh, God was calling us to sacrificially give in a way way above and beyond what we typically would do. And some people actually uh, cashed in some of their retirement account and, and you know, I, I heard that um, that was questioned like, oh boy, are you sure you're thinking about your family? Sometimes following God, I'm talking about following God. I'm not talking about... Uh, trying to live up to somebody's expectations, including a church. I'm saying following God sometimes looks odd. It doesn't always make sense to people. And when we put Jesus first in our family, we don't neglect our family. Matter of fact, our family becomes better through putting him first. I become a better husband when I put Jesus first. You become a better wife when you put Jesus first. And your kids, as you bring them in, to uh, what it means to walk with God in faith, and you put Jesus first in your family as a whole unit, you become stronger as a family. And your kids get it, because it's not just about going to church and being a fan, and it's not about being a foe, and it's not about putting everything else in life before God, it's about putting Him at the center of the family. And what happens is your family thrives through that. Don't put your kids first. Don't put your husband or wife first. Put Jesus first. In verse 34, then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, Here, are my mother, and my brother, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Who is family according to Jesus? Whoever does God's will. Whoever seeks to obey Jesus. Whoever gives up their own agenda for the agenda of God. It's no longer about who we belong to and our relatives and how I was raised. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that binds us together as family. I'm thankful for this family. So we have to ask the question, am I a fan cheering Jesus on as long as it all goes well for me? Or am I a foe? Jesus, don't you dare try to mess with my plans. Or am I family? seeking to obey Him, wanting to learn of Him, wanting to follow Him with a whole heart. Remember when Jesus appointed His disciples, He wanted them to be with Him. And being part of God's family more than anything else is being with Jesus, and Him being with you, and you experiencing that. There's something more than just religion. It's being with God in communion with Him. He calls us into that relationship. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, which is the same church that Mark is writing to, uh, same audience. Um, In chapter 8 of Romans, he said, you've been given the spirit of God, if you're children of God, by which you can cry out now from your spirit, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, God. I know so many of our families that experience brokenness, and we look in the rear view, and we say, daddy is not necessarily a great word for me as I look backwards. There's a story behind that. But what I want you to know is that Jesus came to redeem our families, to redeem the brokenness of our earthly families. And he's wanting to give you a new picture of what a godly parent could be like as you look at your perfect heavenly father. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, when you see me, you've seen the Father. So our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. I can't be good enough. I can't earn it. I can't do enough good things to keep anyone happy, let alone God. The good news is, he says, I just want you. I desire you to be with me, to be in my family, not based on your good work just based on the fact that I love you and I made you. And I'm calling you into that family relationship. Allow me to love you and to adopt you. So we just open our hearts to that and say, yes, God, do it. Let's pray together. Jesus, I don't want to be a fan any longer. Maybe you resonate with that prayer. Say, God, I, I, I'm choosing today to be your father. I want to be a follower. I want to be in the family. I want your agenda for my life. I'm choosing to trust you, God. You are good even when I don't get it. And I'm asking you, Jesus, the one who sets people free. Would you set me free from every lie that I've believed, from every addiction that has grabbed hold of me, from me being the center of my life to you being the center of my life? God, that's what I want. That's what I need. And I'm repenting today. I'm turning to you today, God, and inviting you in to set me free. and. Adopt me into your family. I don't want to sit on a wall any longer and applaud from a distance. God, I want to be right there with you. I want to sit at your feet. I want to learn about you. And I want to to be changed, God, where you don't just do a little bit of a touch-up on my life. God, you do a complete overhaul. And I'm surrendering to that, Lord. I'm surrendering my pride. I'm surrendering my agenda. And I'm asking you now, Lord, come in. Come in. Do that work and pray in Jesus' name. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds, or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.